sitting in she's going to be in the stomp chair tonight and um you know stomp ran into a little bit of a uh a work situation so we also have um julie and jake with us um their frequent listeners are going to sit in and share a little bit of their story but stomp just basically you know ran into some issues he's doing something at lahoots i don't know what he's up to like i haven't talked to him but like he's doing something work related but um, I'll ask him next show what the heck he's up to, but he was like, I'm just running way too late and I'm not going to make it. So it is what it is. But Bummer. just starting off here, so we have breaking news on um, the Skyline FKT. So this is the fast known time. So, Rebecca, I don't know if you were paying attention or not, but um, Larson and. Um, Travis, I believe, were... Uh, yeah, Lawson and Travis had broken the Skyline FKT. We had given them a hand as a supported FKT uh, back in August, but there's a new guy that just broke the uh, the record. And this guy's name is um, Mead Binhammer. So he took the record for the fastest known time for the Waterville Valley Skyline Loop. In a time of seven hours, 33 minutes, so it's a little over an hour faster than Travis and Larson's time. Um, and he did it unsupported, so he basically carried everything that um, that he needed. It was like a 33-mile loop, so pretty impressive. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And he, this... Seems like there's a lot of this stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, and this guy, this is his fourth... Um, FKT this year, so he's set like... He did the Greylock Appalachian Trail Traverse. Okay. Um, FKT. He did Wachusett Mountain Infinity Loop. FKT unsupported. And then he did Knock Ridge Trail unsupported. So this dude's tearing it up. His name is Mead Binhammer. So good for him. How do you spell his name? B I N. H A M M E R, Ben Hammer. Good for him. So, very impressive. Yeah, it is. Um, and then the next thing that we have here, this is some of the stuff Stomp had put on there. There is a new trail that's opened up in Nepal. So, we always talk about wanting to go into 
um, the Himalayas. So this trail is called the Historic Trans-Bhutan Trail. So it's now open to hikers. So if you're looking to do a um, an awesome hike, this is a 250-mile trail called the Trans-Bhutan Trail. It is a trail that was originally open in like the 60s, but because they built a bunch of highways, it got, it got basically overgrown. Mm. But this is a trail that you can take if you're a thru-hiker and you want to trek along the southern end of the eastern Himalayas where the trail winds through villages, forests, temples, and rice paddies. That's cool. Yes. So I want to go. Overseas. Um, I'll join you, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Have you guys? Do you guys have any plans to ever go like to anywhere crazy exotic like that? Well, because I studied Chinese medicine, I've wanted to head to China. I've studied Japanese acupuncture. I've wanted to go to Japan, and because I love to hike, like that's been like an obsession of mine is reading everything I can about Himalayas and hiking in the mountains that are just beyond what we have in new hampshire so yeah hey let's yeah, go i'm feeling the same way like i think you're probably in the same boat as me you got kids and you gotta wait for them to get a little bit older and graduate and get some more free time before you can start really doing the crazy wild adventures we're, we're about the same age mike and our kids are a little bit younger than yours i still got my do- my youngest has still got five years left of high school yeah i got two more left for my youngest so i'm like counting the days when i can get up to like uh Hopefully, move from Massachusetts closer to the mountains, but we'll see how it goes. That makes three of us. Exactly, exactly. But anyway, that sounds like a fun trail. Um, next thing that I have here is, and Rebecca, this is something you got to keep an eye on: um, catalytic converter thefts. Oh gosh, they continue to be an issue. Uh, but Stomp had set; uh, he put an article in here about some devices that you can buy to protect your catalytic converter. So I think the big one is the Priuses. They go after those. I don't know. You don't drive a Prius, do you? No, my car is really old and really not a good vehicle. If they heard my car, they would not take anything off of it. It's in rough shape. Really? Yes. You think you're going to make it? Are you going to make it all the way through the redlining with with your car? Uh, it's going to be a questionable. <laughs> I'm at... 215,000 miles. Um, I put 15,000 miles on it in the last 62 days. Really? Yeah. It's going to be... Well, I... (laughs) I'm just letting it be what it is. Yeah. Well, good luck. I just bought a new car, so it's a a pain in the neck to go through that process. But um, it is sort of like a... It's it's like this... uh, like stress that sort of hangs over your head when you have a high mileage car like that. You're like, all right, when is it going to surprise me and blow blow up? But it is nice to have a new car. So I got, actually, I'm waiting to pick it up. It should be coming in a couple of days. My wife, not mine. So. Ah, that's nice though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But these, uh, so these catalytic converters, there's a couple of them that you can, there's a couple of products that you can buy. One is a cage that basically wraps around the catalytic converter. It looks like it's a bunch of cables. There's another one in this article that is like an alarm that will, you can tie it to your catalytic converter and then if anybody messes with it, it'll blast an alarm. Um, And then the third option is a catalytic converter protection shield. And this is specific for Toyota Priuses. I guess the Priuses have like more of the precious metal in them than other cars. Hmm. So crazy but that's still an issue 
the only problem with the cages is they're just going to cut more of the exhaust on either side. Yeah, exactly. They'll they'll find a way for sure. I like the idea of the alarm because then, you know, they're going to get blasted and hopefully get scared away. Unless yeah. unless you're at a trailhead, then who's going to hear it? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that is true. Leave it to the mechanic to know that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so next up here, I got a couple of true crime updates. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. Um, the first story that I have is there is a story out of Turkey. So, um, Julie, this is like, don't get too close to the edge with Jake unless you really trust him. But this is a situation where a Turkish man was sentenced to life in prison for pushing his wife off a cliff. <laughs> so... So you always got to be careful when you're on the edge here. But um, apparently they were they were on a little sightseeing tour or something. They got a little bit close to this uh, ledge, and the, the husband decided that he was going to push his wife off the edge. So he got convicted of um, murder and sentenced to life in prison. Unreal. So I, I actually did a little bit of research on this because I remember reading about it or seeing it on the new, uh, the headlines the other day. Um, it was for $25,000 in life insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that much. It's not that much at all. Yeah. And apparently in Turkey, it's kind of a, a, a huge thing right now. There's been like 250 women murdered in Turkey this year. For life insurance. Uh, a good a good number of them. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. So it is like people do need to be aware. Like I tell my daughters, like because I think about there was an incident that happened on the Boulder Loop Trail that I've talked about on the show like multiple times, and it was like this husband and wife couple. The husband did not hike, and he was like, "Let's go for a hike." And the the wife at the time was like, "This is weird." <laughs> And they went on the Boulder Loop Trail, and I don't know if you, you guys have been on the Boulder Loop Trail, but there's like there's mm-hmm. ledges there, and he went after her, tried to get mm-hmm. her over that ledge, and she fought him off, and you know ultimately survived. She ran away, and they were able to sort of like I think she flagged down a couple of hikers that were there to protect her, but that case, I mean, that guy basically got off with a slap on the wrist. I think he, I don't even think he did any time. And he's he's still walking around down in Plastown, New Hampshire somewhere. So he's going to eventually find some some woman to to marry again. And, you know, I, I wonder what's going to happen with that. That's just ridiculous. I mean, it's yeah. a super popular trail too. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's a little scary, but I'll post the in the show notes, a reminder of that, that story. So just in case anybody's in the Southern New Hampshire area, they can keep an eye out for that guy. That's crazy. Um, it is crazy. So the next story, uh, moving on is there was a, and it was sticking with true crime. I got like three or four of these. Um, there was an arrest made in the murder of a Concord couple. So we talked about, this was basically a couple that was out walking on a, a hiking trail in Concord, New Hampshire, um, gentleman by the name of Logan Clegg was uh, arrested and charged with two counts of second-degree murder in the shooting deaths of Steve and Wendy Reed. This guy was picked up in Vermont um, on Thursday on a fugitive from justice charge related to the murders and uh, waived extradition. I don't really know the details here. I think that he was living in the woods out there, and you know, it, it sounds like it was probably just a case of wrong place, wrong time, wrong person to mm-hmm. run into but really sad 
Yeah, that's terrible. They're really sad. I saw the headlines, but I didn't hadn't heard any any of the details yet. Yeah, I don't think they've really put a motive out, but my guess is that it's just a case of like, you know, running into somebody at the, at the wrong time. Mm. Wrong time. Um, speaking of running into someone at the wrong time, the next case I have here is a case we've never talked about, but this is a pretty famous case of um, um, two young teenage girls. I think they were 13, 14 years old in Indiana. This murder is known as the Delphi murders, mm. and um, it's probably one of the most well-known unsolved um, murder cases that's out there right now. And you know, there was a lot of like frustration around this because the the victims actually took pictures of the perpetrator, and they actually had audio recording of him as well. Um, very small rural Indiana town. Um, but you know, they, they had this weird situation where they investigated like a, a, a suspect who had a Instagram account that he was communicating with the girls over. It was pretty likely that it was going to be that person. A lot of people thought that it was pretty likely it was going to be that person that actually committed the murder. Turns out that they, they were able to track DNA evidence and they identified a local resident that worked at the CVS and lived like within a half a mile of the murder scene. Um, that wasn't on anybody's radar, and they ended up connecting the DNA um, from him to the murder scene and, and made the arrest. So I guess this guy basically flew under the radar, had an incident with his um, a domestic um, incident with his wife, resulted in him getting arrested. They took a DNA sample from him, and that's how they made the connection. So wow. it took six years for them to find it, but it's a pretty big story. So it gives me hope. Like I think of the Mara Murray situation and a. You know, hearing these these arrests gives me hope, although I don't know about Mara. It just seems hopeless right now. Definitely for that one. I mean, you you sent me down a rabbit hole on that one, listening to all kinds of podcasts and yeah, conspiracy yeah. theories. And yeah, there's so much that's really unknown about that case. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, the last update that we have is a... Um, not a sol- not an, a solved mystery or anything. Well, it's it's a mystery that was solved. So there's a there's a case called Lady of the Dunes, which is a case of a um, murder victim who was found in Providence Town, Massachusetts, on the beach in 1974. And uh, as was common in the 70s and 80s, they weren't able to identify this person. You know, estranged from her family, no information. Um, to identify her so her body has been basically known as the lady she's been known as lady of the dunes no one knows who she was they were recently able to do um, a dna extraction from her remains and then use uh, genetic genealogy to identify um, some distant relatives and then by doing that they were able to track her identity so it turns out that she was a uh, lady from Tennessee. She was 37 years old at the time of her death in 1974. Her name is Ruth Marie Terry, um, and they really don't have. They didn't give a lot of detail on how she ended up in Massachusetts, but hopefully they'll be able to start reconstructing what happened and come up with some theories. But it's it's pretty amazing. The technology has evolved so much that they can identify these these old, um, you know, unidentified murder victims. Yeah, it's crazy. Cool stuff. Isn't this exciting, Rebecca? It is, actually. <laughs> I was actually listening to another <laughs> yeah. different podcast, and they were talking about um, 
murders in national parks while and I'm listening to this while hiking. So I'm like, this does not feel like a good idea. It's the last time I've listened to a podcast like that while hiking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely got me a little creeped out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, next thing here that we've got is a um, an update on a bear attack. So this was. Um, this happened in Maryland, and apparently this lady was out walking her dog, or her two dogs, two German Shepherds, and um, they stumbled upon a bear that was hanging around there, and uh, I guess the dogs got into it with the bear. I, my theory would be that probably the dogs probably riled the bear up a little bit, and eventually the bear decided that it was going to attack the woman. Um the the woman got injured pretty severely. The the bear bit her in the head a couple of times, crushed her skull. Uh, luckily, she lived pretty close to a uh, first responder, like the fire chief of the town lived pretty close nearby. So she was able to call 911, but um, she had done everything that we tell people to do around like making a lot of noise and um, trying to make themselves large, and this didn't work at this time so me and Stomp were texting back and forth and I was like my throwing food idea is a better idea <laughs> run away I completely agree I'm still a fan of the food and flip flop idea yes exactly throw the flip flops and whatever but um, have you seen any wildlife Rebecca in your travels over the last month or two um not since June well June I saw a moose um, and then I saw Actually, I've seen deer, I think, a couple of times. Um, I've seen a lot of moose scat, um, but no bears this year. I saw bears back in 2020 and in 2021, actually. My mom and her cubs. Awesome. Yeah, I ho- I'm hoping I don't run into anything crazy. Yeah, I'm not. I don't particularly love running into animals. Um, I definitely don't like it when people's dogs run up on me. Because I usually end up screaming. Yeah. Because I'm not expecting it, usually. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I, I, I love seeing the dogs, but sometimes if they come out of nowhere, it freaks me out. So. Um, we have a dog that we don't usually take with us when we hike because he's a big black dog. He's got a mean, nasty bark. His hackles go up all the time. And it's just not fun for other yeah. people. Even though he's a very friendly dog... It's just not fun yeah. for other people. And then other dogs come around, come running up on him that aren't leashed and don't know what to yeah. make of it. It's always interesting. Like, I feel like um, if I had a dog and it was off leash and it wasn't, it didn't have good recall, like, it would stress me out. And I, I think a lot of times, most of the dogs I see that are off leash, like, nine out of ten times, like, they, they don't even look at me or bother me and they're under good control. But every once in a while, you'll get this dog that'll just run up out of nowhere and, like, try to jump on you or whatever and I find that those owners aren't stressed at all I would be a wreck like afraid that the dog was going to like mm-hmm. run into a porcupine or get get a, a mad hiker or something getting an incident but I'd, I'd say probably more like 95% of the dogs I run into are pretty cool though Hey what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump All right, so uh, moving on to uh, pop culture talk here. So originally, Stomp wanted to talk about this reality show called Love is Blind. Me and Rebecca were like messaging back and forth, and we both agree that um, 
The Ultimatum is a way better show, so we don't have anything to add about Love is Blind. I, I like The Ultimatum. We haven't seen either. I'm pretty sure I started Love is Blind, and it was just, I couldn't get into it. Ultimatum is so much better. I highly recommend. Yeah, I do too. So, But all right, so you, but you guys aren't into cheesy reality shows at all? Oh, oh, hello. I'm oh. the Survivor fan from Crazy Town. I even sent a video in to try oh. to get on there. I thought, then come on. I'm an acupuncturist, an herbalist. I mean, you got to send me to China. Nothing. Nope. No yeah, callback. Well, I keep going on that because I think that, like, you know, they, they're always looking for good outdoor adventurous people. So keep sending in the videos for Survivor. Let me know how that goes. We, need, <laughs> we would need an insider on the show. That would be awesome. <laughs> consider it done I'll let you know because both my kids well Samantha watches it and we are big fans and she's like mom you could totally do this I'm like okay yeah. oh speaking of which Samantha yep. wanted to let you know Mike I have the entire outline of the Gilmore Girls and everybody who's on it and if you want to watch it again she will go play by play with you all right. I like it. I like it. So, so Rebecca, just so you know, like I've had like a couple of shows, we've talked about it, but one of the things I always advise people, like when you're, you're a husband and wife situation is you always want to find like a show or some sort of entertainment activity where you can both enjoy it. So for us, like when we were early in our marriage, me and Mrs. Mike, we love to watch the Gilmore Girls. And I actually have rewatched it before on like Netflix, I think. I'm rewatching Game of Thrones right now, but maybe I'll do a round three of Gilmore Girls. So. Sam's up for it anytime, Mike. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll have to create a whole new podcast for it. <laughs> She'll do it. Exactly. Um, all right, so the other pop culture stuff that we have is not much. So Stomp want to talk about Tom and Giselle getting divorced, which, you know, it is what it is. Everybody saw that coming. and um, Yeah, like 16 years ago yeah, when it first started. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, they had a good relationship for a while, but it just didn't hold on. But, you know, if Tom, Tom, you need some advice, I'll let you know how to have a successful marriage. You just got to do what your wife tells you. Like, you don't go and retire and then unretire. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wasn't so anyway, really up on all that. I uh, kind of fell out of the loop with things pop culture lately, and I had to re read up on it before this recording. And, um, my understanding is that Giselle was the one who was making the majority of the money in the relationship. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, that she was kind of the, yeah. And then I don't know what ended up happening after that, but, um, well, she definitely came in with more money. Yeah. I, I was never really a huge fan of that relationship. I always thought it seemed a little like it wasn't necessarily going to work out. Yeah, see, I liked it because it was, he was winning Super Bowl, so I was like, it's working. But I think my theory is that you're right. Like, she was making the she was making more money than he was in the beginning of the relationship, and then she was like, I'm going to mm-hmm. step back and raise the family, and then you're going to make the money. And I think that he always sort of like was pretty flexible in his contract situation. She probably wasn't too thrilled about that, but he, you know, he never demanded like the top money that he could have. Um, And then I think when he retired, she was like, all right, we're moving forward with our relationship. And then he, um, you know, I think that he just was like, I need his either they were going south already. And he was like, I got to get back into the game or he changed his mind. And then she was like, I'm done. My opinion is that they were going south already, and when they said it's over, he came back and 
now it's all finished. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But good luck. I'm sure they're both going to find new partners and be very happy very quickly. So money and looks has a way of making that happen. Um, so last things I got on pop culture here is Stomp's Fantasy Pants. Uh, podcast debut is set for November 14th and November 21st. We will um, send out links on that over social media, and uh, we're looking forward to that. And then the last thing Stomp put in here is that Avatar 2 is coming out um, on December 16th, and the uh, the movie's going to be three hours and ten minutes long, so I, I think I'll wait until that hits the streaming services. I don't think I'm going to go to a movie to watch that. Originally, it was over four hours. They cut it down to three. Yeah, yeah, I can... <laughs> I don't even remember like the first one that well. I didn't even think it was like that great. I mean, visually it was cool, but I'm not gonna. I think I'll wait until it comes out on Disney Plus. Well, then I guess the podcast is something to shoot for. I mean, let's see what's the longest podcast you guys have had. Yeah, I think we've done two hours a couple of times, so yeah. we'll see. Well, if you get about two hours and forty five minutes, it's a trip from Massachusetts up to North Conway. So let's go. It is. It is. It is. We can. Uh, we can do that. Um, all right, so next thing here is uh, I'm going to be doing sponsor and coffee talk. So just give me one second to pull up all my info. Stomp sent me everything. So for um, donations, we got uh, one donation from somebody. Um, so thank you for whoever that is. And then as far as our sponsors go, we want to, again, welcome Fieldstone Kombucha. Um, New England's premier craft kombucha. They ship to New Hampshire. Um, so we want everyone to check out Fieldstone Kombucha online for delicious seasonable, seasonal flavors in a kombucha style be, uh, beloved of skeptics and enthusiasts alike. The perfect non-alcoholic drink, uh, post-hike drink, and uh, if you're interested, shipping is available for retail and wholesale. For more info, you can contact Emily Sheridan. And we'll include her email, and we'll also include the uh, the link to the website where you can order everything um, in the show notes. We also want to um, thank Spinner's Pizza, family-owned since 1994, specializing in hand-spun, thin-crust Italian pizza with their own homemade sauce. So we'll go ahead and visit them in Andover on Dascom Road. Also want to thank Eastern Mountain Sports, your northeastern go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at ems.com. And finally, a special thanks to our sponsor, Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, close to many 4,000-footers and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Um, so that was usually Stomp's routine, but I had to I had to plow through that. What do you think, Rebecca? I do okay? I think you killed it. All right. Sounds like you knew exactly what you were doing. Awesome. So I um, want to welcome everyone to episode 81 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week we're joined by friends of the show, Julie and Jake. So we're excited to have them share with us some of their hiking stories. And we'll also dive into some topics such as hiking with kids, finding uh, time to hike when you have such a busy life. We're going to talk a little bit about couple dynamics on the trail and their experience with wilderness first aid training and a bunch of other topics. Um, later in the show, we're going to give a rundown on the latest trends in hiking gear that you never know you needed, but you're going to want to um, buy after hearing about them. And then we'll wrap up with some recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. I'm Rebecca. Let's get started. 
Exactly. So um, first thing here is beer talk. So uh, I've extended my sober October, so I'm not drinking beer, but I have a um, a tart cranberry from uh, Fieldstone Kombucha, so I'm enjoying this right now. Um, you guys got something here, Jake. What do you got? Uh, I've got something called Hold My Juice Box by uh, Hobbs Brewing. What is it again? Hold My Juice Box. By it's it's an IPA double IPA from uh, Hobbs Brewing. Out of Ossipy. Yeah, they're right there on uh, right in Ossipy. Awesome. You drinking anything, Julie? Uh, my go-to sip of sunshine. It just makes me happy when I drink it, and it's just I have one, and like just with a little sip, I'm like feel like I'm full of sunshine. I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's just my go-to, my happy. I like to have it. After hikes, I like to have it after a long day. So I sip yep. of sunshine. Yep, I've had those quite a bit too. I like those a lot. So good. Rebecca, you still not drinking? Yeah, I, I don't drink. This is my water bottle. Yeah. Look at my nice sticker. I was just going to say, I saw the sticker when you were drinking it earlier. <laughs> yep, got to represent. Awesome. So, so sober October was easy for you then. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So, um, recent hikes here. So, Rebecca, um, I guess we might as well just like, so for the audience's memory, so Rebecca's been on the show a few times. Um, we've talked about your, you know, your story around hiking, struggling with cancer, the whole deal. Um, I think that's sort of in the rearview mirror for now and uh, hopefully forever. Um, and then you've been quietly um, working on your White Mountain redlining, tracing, whatever we want to call it here. Um, so you were on the show, I think, episode 63, and the plan was to do the entire White Mountain Guide in 14 months, and you're doing a fundraiser deal for that as well. Mm-hmm. Are you on track? Are you uh, you feeling good about it? What's, what's the update? Yeah, so I am... Uh I think I'm at 29.5% right now. Um, I just finished my 60-second hike. Um, I'm going out tomorrow to do some more trails, and then the next day and then Sunday. So I'm hiking between three and four days a week, um, and then the days off I work. So it's been kind of a lot in terms of the work and the hiking. Um, But, yeah, it's been going really well, and I am on track. Um, I'm also working on the 100 highest on top of it, so, like, it's tracing and the 100 highest. So I'm at 30 out of 100 for the 100 highest, although I've done many of these many times. Um, but yeah, it's been going really, really good. I'm loving it. It's going to be weird to not be working on it, I think, in a year or so. How, long, how, many months are in, how many months into it are you? I think I'm starting... Uh, I'm in my fourth month or my fifth month right now. So I started June 19th. Okay. So October okay. 19th was fun. And then you're at 30%? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not really looking so much at the percent. It's more the days that I, I know how many days I have total. So I, I think it was like around 206. So I'm almost, I mean, not almost halfway, but kind of almost halfway. Because once I get to 100, it's roughly halfway. So... And then where have you been recently? Um, so, yes, uh, two days ago, actually, I hiked. Um, I did Glencliff Trail over on Musilaki, um, And then I went down the carriage road. I went up Hurricane. And then I went over and did Town Line Trail after that. So it was like a 14-mile day. 
Were you over in um, like Mount Langdon in in Stanton in that area too? Yes, that was the two days prior to that. Okay, um, I did Langdon, Stanton, um, or no Langdon Parker Trail, and then I went down Stairs Call, and then down and out Rocky Branch South. So, okay. Yeah, I'm interested. And then I'll be over in the speckled region. Got it. And do you uh, are you doing like sections all in the same area, or you just bounce around wherever you you want? It's all based on the weather. So I have specific hikes that I need to accomplish before winter, because of like the roads are closing or the trails are not going to be broken out. So like um, the next two weeks, I have very specific hikes that I absolutely really would really need to get done, um, kind of, to set myself up for success. Um, so it's all based on weather. It's not based on area of the state. Interesting. I'm always so fascinated. Like, I, I keep, I always think about it. Like, I feel like the last time I tallied things up, I was like a little over 50%, but it's all just dumb luck. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not managing anything on purpose. Um, but okay. I just did, actually, I went up and did um whiteface i hadn't i hadn't been on whiteface in probably about three or four years so i went up blueberry ledge Mm -hmm. and um i got on trail at like six in the morning on no six thirty, and i was like i was like i can probably catch the sunrise from those lower ledges Mm -hmm. on blueberry you know there's like three ledges so i got up to the i think the third ledge before you get into the like the next climb and i was able to get the sunrise it was like kind of there's some trees blocking it, but it was pretty cool. But like white white face was awesome. There's nobody up there. Mm-hmm. I was by myself, and and when I came down, I saw a bunch of people. But, um, you know, it was just a quick up and down. So that's that's all I've been up to. That's great, though. Yeah, and uh, Julie, Jake, you guys been anywhere recently? It's been a couple of weeks since we've been out. Uh, kids and family have kept us busy. Uh, last place we went was Eagle Mountain in Jackson, which was just a, we were up at the house in New Hampshire for a weekend of work and we're like, kids aren't up yet, got to get out and do something. So we, it's just a quick hour, hour and a half up and back. Got it. And you guys are close to Jackson? Yeah, we're in, uh, Intervale, which is Bartlett. Okay. All right. So like. That area we were just talking about, like Stanton and Doubleheads. Yep, it's and, right, right around the corner. All that area. Yeah. I've been meaning to. I think my next hike is I'm going to um, do that section of the, I think it's the Mount Stanton Trail, but I'm going to try to park in that neighborhood back there and then hike to um, Mount Parker and then come back on that ledge section there. I haven't done that, but it looks like a pretty, pretty challenging hike. I think it's going to be like 4,000 feet of elevation gain. So before we bought our house, we used to rent a house in that neighborhood, and we've done Mount Stanton from that trailhead probably six or seven times. We used to do it with the kids, and they didn't like it because it is pretty steep. Um, but it's it, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I think that's going to be my next hike. I might try to do that actually this weekend if I can free up, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the time, but. Um, just moving on to another topic here. Before we get into um, talking with uh, with Julie and Jake, Rebecca, there's a guy that I follow on YouTube. His name is Adam Hoyt, mm-hmm. um, and he does like these videos. I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not, but I saw a video that he put together uh, for the five hardest, terrifying 25 elective, elective trails. So there's like 20 
required trails for the terrifying 25 list and then there's like i think 14 elective trails that and the deal with the terrifying 25 is you got to do the 20 required and then you can pick any five of the electives so he put together in his opinion the five um most difficult elective trails and I thought the list was pretty good. So, and I wanted to give him a shout out because I've been enjoying his video. So, his name is Adam Hoyt. I'll link to his YouTube page and basically his rundown for the five difficult, the five hardest electives is the Willie Range Trail. So, that's that ladder section going up from the south section of uh, Mount Willie, which I agree with. I've done that in winter and it was like pretty sketchy. Um, the next is the Blueberry Ledge Trail, which I was just on. And I would agree that like there's some sections on that that are pretty pretty tough. Um, the third is the Beaverbrook Trail going up Musilaki, so I think that's that's a good call. Then he said Castle Ravine Trail, which I've never done. I've done the Castle Trail and I've done Israel Ridge, but Castle Ravine goes right up the middle, and I think that that's like a bunch of hopping over like different brooks and river crossings. And then the last one is the Wildcat Ridge Trail. So I think those are the five. Like I was looking at the other ones. The only other one that um, could potentially, yeah, actually, I don't even think, I think that those are the five that I would have picked as well. So I, I think he did a pretty good job on that. I don't know if anybody has opinions otherwise. I did Castle Ravine in 2020. Um, I remember it being, it's a lot of rocks, a lot of loose rocks. Um, it's very similar to King Ravine if you've done that one. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, I gotta check it out. I like, I really like Israel Ridge, but I haven't done, I haven't done that section. But like, you've got to do. Have you done a lot of that? Um, like the the Mount Adams redlining. Like, there's so many trails on the on the bottom of that mountain that it's crazy. I've done all of those trails except like maybe five. I have like one hike left to have completed that whole area. Like, if I actually for overall in my entire life of doing this i have all that whole area done almost yeah well that's impressive because it's it's like a confusing spiderweb of trails down there so Mm -hmm. i'm impressed So we're going to move on to our first segment here with Julie and Jake. You guys ready to go? We're ready. Bring it. Awesome. All right. So originally Stomp was going to kick this off and give some background on how they met. But um, Jake, why don't you, you know, we covered this before we started recording, but why don't you give a little bit of background on how you met Stomp and so your your exposure to the show? Um, I don't remember exactly where I saw it, but I had seen something about the show on one of the Facebook groups. Um, I started listening to it, started at episode one and uh, listened to a couple episodes. I'm like, hey, Julie, you got to listen to this. It's really good. It's a lot of interesting insight. It's 
really cool to hear about a lot of the trails that we're doing, we're trying to do. Um, we're, we've been on a very long journey of just trying to get through the 48. And, um, but it's interesting. It, it was a lot of fun to hear you guys with a lot more experience um, just talking about the things that we do and want to do. Um, so when we heard about the 100K download party, I was like, I really want to go. Jake's like, dude, it's Sunday night in Bethlehem at Reckless. I'm like, I know, it's at Reckless. He's like, we have kids. Ugh. But wait a minute. See if you could reach out to Stomp, which they had talked before. I'm like, reach out to Stomp and see if he's going early because I'm sure he's got to set up equipment or something. And that was exactly the situation. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to be there early. So we went to Reckless, you know, had a brunch and just were checking it out because we've been dying to check it out anyways, grabbed a beer, and all of a sudden, Stomp walks in, and I'm like, that's him. That's him. He's like, dude, you got to chill. I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna introduce myself. And I literally, he happened to pass by. He came by. I opened the door for him. I'm like, hi, Stomp. I'm Julie of Jake and Julie. <laughs> he was like, um, hi. I'm like, that's Jake. And we just started talking. Awesome. And then you guys said you couldn't stay for the show, but you uh, you were able to sort of meet him in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So we, I mean, he was trying to figure everything out, get everything all set up, but you know, we talked to him yeah. a good 10 minutes or so. Unloaded just, some equipment for him because our son's in a band, and so we're used to basically unloading equipment constantly as roadies. And so it, I'm like, go help him. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, Jake, go help him. So it would, then we sat and talked about search and rescue. I think that was the day, Mike, if I remember correctly, there were like three calls and he was like, couldn't stand not being there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, yeah. we, he ended up, uh, and I, I warned him, I was like, you know, you're going to get some calls and you're going to have to say no because I need you there to record. So, yeah. um, but no, that's great. And he had stayed in touch with you guys. So Stomp wanted to um, do some listener spotlight. So we figured we would start this off with having you guys um, join us and, and sort, of, sort of share your story. So I think, Julie, just starting off with, um, can you introduce yourself a little bit and sort of give some background on you know, your your outdoor activity experience, um, talk a little bit about your work. I'm interested in hearing about your, you know, your experience as an herbalist. What, you know, what does that mean? And, and talk a little bit about, you know, hiking as well as the herbalist piece of it. All right. So I guess to start is I'm originally from California, uh, Sacramento. but Which we, that explains why you're an herbalist, right? It, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, I actually uh, could, when I could vote, I'd join the green party it's not even a party anymore but that's just how i've always been in the environment and my dad was a big um nature enthusiast i mean my favorite book was a book that had a game called hug a tree like we were just always in nature we went camping we went hiking that's just how he rolled he was from montana and so we were always out and i went to college you kind of lose some of that and i finally ended up out here for an internship uh, I studied to be an occupational therapist at San Jose State and I came out here and I fell in love with it went home for a year realized I wanted to be back on the on uh, in Boston and so when I came out here uh, I didn't do much because I didn't know where to go also is limited yeah I had a car but I'm not gonna like just start driving somewhere I'm still trying to figure out the South Shore or Boston and make rent you know it 
how it goes when you're in your 20s. So finally, actually, we met. And this guy has been in New Hampshire more than I could eat. I, I was like, where is New Hampshire? So that's when we ended up. He started taking me up to North Conway. And we would hike and tent um, off of the Bowles Trail. We would do different hikes all over. Our first ascent was Mount Pierce, thanks to our friend Nick, who recommended it. And one morning at his B&B, he was like, what are you planning on doing? We're like, hoping to hike. Do you have any ideas? No. He's like, may I suggest? And that's when we got started on our 48. Um, When I was a kid, I was a swimmer. I was always active. My dad was actually active with our Girl Scout troop. And so we would, he was all about like, let's show them how to hike. Let's show them how to cook, how to set up a tent. Like it was, it was really awesome. Uh, So when I became an OT, I stayed here. I've worked in most of the hospitals in Boston in various areas. But it was when I was at Spalding uh, working on the unit with traumatic brain injuries that I actually had my first experience with acupuncture. There was a doctor that actually was licensed to do acupuncture, and he started doing it on a client. And I sat there, I'm like, what is that? And at the same point in time, I was literally falling apart. I was trying to climb the ladder of administration because that's what you're supposed to do, right, in your 20s is try to work your way up to being some kind of supervisor somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know what? I have reflux, I have migraines, I am not sleeping, I have no energy, and I was 23. And I'm like, this is not working. And my massage therapist at the time is like, have you ever thought of acupuncture? I'm like, you know what, it's so funny. I watched a doctor do it the other day. So she had an acupuncturist there. I went, the first time, I swear to God, they put needles in me and I was like, didn't breathe. I didn't sleep, my eyes were open. I was like, I'm gonna puncture a lung. There were no needles anywhere near my lungs, but that's how freaked out I was about needles. And she went and did some other work on my neck, and all of a sudden, I didn't have my migraine. Now, I still had headaches, but no migraines. I'm like, oh. So I went back again and again, and every time it got better. She'd make diet recommendations. I'd listen to them because it worked. And finally, I was like, okay, I want to do this. How do you do it? Well, there's an open house at the New England School of Acupuncture. And I said, all right, I'll go. And I went, and I listened to all the lectures. I walked out going, that's what I need to do, and I have no idea how I'm going to afford it. So I talked to my dad, got some loans. We made it work. I started in 2002. I graduated in 2004 with a dual master's in traditional. Huh? 2005. What did I say? You graduated in 2005. I graduated in 2005 with a dual master's in traditional Chinese medicine and Chinese and Japanese-style acupuncture started my business and it was rough going as anybody knows about starting a new business but my background in OT for so many years helped me with understanding western medicine integrating it with Chinese medicine and then also that bedside manner and the rapport that you need to have with clients so from there actually I I'm still working. I'm 17 years into it. I own the Marlboro Wellness Center in Marlboro. I have a bunch of practitioners that work with me. In terms of the herbalist side, everybody asks me, ooh, does this herb work for this? Or can you treat that? Or I get those questions all the time. And when it comes to hiking, um, Jake is very serious about his hiking. He likes the really challenging stuff. Me, I'm happy just literally a walk in the woods. Ooh, 
look at that mushroom. Ooh, look at that flower. And I mean, there'll be one of the, what we were doing. Oh, Madison. Like I was just dinking around. He's like, honey, if you don't get moving, we're not going to make it up and down. (laughs) And I finally looked at him and I'm like, uh, oh, oh, how many more miles? He goes, however many. He goes, oh, okay, let's get going. Pretty orange mushroom. Oh, do you see that? And I just keep going. Um, In terms of mushrooms, um, they're so fun to look for, but you have to know what to look for. And and like I always tell people whenever people ask me, oh, do you know anything about them? Would you go and harvest them? No, 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 no. I am not a mycologist. I'm not a botanist. I'm an herbalist. Don't touch them if you don't honestly know what you're getting into because it can get dangerous. And there was, I think, uh, Mike uh, Bing from Massachusetts, you probably heard the story uh, coming out of UMass Worcester about the mom and the son who recently went foraging. The, The background is they were from Malaysia, and so they were foraging for something that they thought was what they were used to, and they had tested it the way that they know culturally to test it. Unfortunately, they didn't realize that the mushrooms here are different than in different countries, and they came across an amanita, and that's the most toxic that you can have. So that's a sad story that happened, but I always tell people when it comes to mushrooms, honestly, go with somebody who knows what they're doing or just... Do your research before you do. I have a friend, he's been foraging for years, and I would love to follow him sometime, but I I ask him, and he's like, don't. Follow me first. I'm like, yep, I'm the first person that's going to say that. Not going to take the chance. Yeah, now, a question for you is, so, so the Eastern medicine and the acupuncture, do you have a perspective on, and again, I don't have any background in this, but like my impression is, is that um, there's an aspect of sort of the physical impact that whatever um, remedies you're using with your clients, there's a physical impact on that. But I feel like there's also a psychological aspect. Like if, if, if you've got somebody that is manifesting their psychological issues in a physical way and then you're working with them to provide tools whether it's Eastern medicine or Western medicine, is that how much of that factors into it? Like, and I don't want to say psychosomatic, but like, is it is it because you're giving them a tool and they see like, okay, I'm following a process, and that process is going to allow me to lift the stress that's causing the physical pain that I have. See, this is a fantastic question. And like people, if they were watching this video right now, they see like all my facial expressions going, oh, this is a great question. <laughs> see. Traditional Chinese medicine, um, it is not like Western medicine. So Western medicine is very research-based. It's very clinical. It's black and white. If you have this diagnosis, you take this medication, right? Oh, well, we have a couple of medications. You could try different ones based on what we think might be happening. And you have to remember, traditional Chinese medicine has been around for 2,000 plus years. So if you think back that far, they didn't have lab tests, they didn't have blood draws, they didn't have what we have now in terms of the technology and the research. All they had were the seasons, the spirits, the religious beliefs, and what they could feel, experience, taste, touch. So when you go back to those basics, that's what makes this medicine a science and an art. Um, And that's 
why I love what I'm do what I do because a lot of people come in saying I have hip pain, and I sit there going okay, and they go and I play tennis and I'm sitting there going yeah okay. We treat the whole person. We don't separate. I am not coming in to just work on your hip. I actually had a client today. Um, he came in. We're working on some anxiety. He told me about his blood pressure. And then the first thing I start asking is, how's work doing? How's the real estate doing? The real estate deal that you got going on? Um, how's your son doing? You know, and I started asking all those questions because I realized and I knew that that emotional component, that stress, that spirit component is affecting his body. But sometimes we in our upbringing in Western medicine don't put those together. We have them separate. If you have an emotional or a psychological issue, you're going to go to the psychologist or the psychiatrist. If you have an orthopedic problem like a hip or an elbow, you're going to go to the orthopedist. But the nice thing with Chinese medicine, it is all one. We treat the whole person. There is no separating of spirit and physical. So when you ask me, okay, is this psychosomatic? It's all tied together. I'm treating it all. And that kind of blows people's minds because they come in saying, okay, you know, I have hip pain. And then I find out they've got other stuff going on and I can treat it all at the same time. And all of a sudden they come back and they're like, I slept amazing. Yep. Yeah, I can I guess. I always feel like there's, um, you know, there's obviously going to be some people that sort of like have this stigma around like, you know, I don't have anything wrong with me mentally. Um, and I think a lot of times like some of the, the physical pain that manifests itself is due to psychological factors. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Like if if the if the acupuncture is having a physical um, is, is solving a physical issue, even though it may be. You know, just the the core, the root of it may be psychological, but like if you need a physical intervention to solve that, then what does it matter one way or the other? And most people come in my door with a pain condition, but it's like peeling an onion. So as I work with them, I'm peeling off those superficial layers of pain and we get to the root of the problem. And that's the key in Chinese medicine is treating the root of the problem, not the superficial stuff. If I figure out what the root is and what the issue is, all that stuff is going to fall away. The hip pain's going to be gone. The migraine's going to be gone. The sleep problems are going to be gone. I'm treating. I'm treating what truly is happening here, and that's what's different than sometimes the Western medicine approach. And it's just it's just a different uh, training, a different thought process. But yeah, we. We, the first thing that people come into the clinic is usually with some kind of physical issue. Actually, I have a question for you about that. So, okay, so go for it. Um, I've been reading this book. Um, so I had cancer, um, as you guys have heard. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've been doing a lot of reading about this. Um, this There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I'm yep. not sure if you've heard of it. I have. haven't read it, so, but yeah. Okay, so that talks a lot about how... Um, it's a lot about neuroscience and stuff like that, but it, it's a lot about like trauma and how your body kind of holds on to a lot of these things and it actually manifests itself in physical 
um, ailments. Yes, it does. And in fact, acupuncture is fantastic for like PTSD. We treat a lot of veterans. Um, mm-hmm. We treat, uh, actually, believe it or not, a lot of survivors of pretty traumatic medical issues, uh, mm-hmm. be it motor vehicle accidents, heart attacks, uh, cancer. I have a mm-hmm. lot of um, patients who are undergoing cancer treatments on my caseload. And a lot of times, uh, I'm treating the side effects of the treatment, but I'm also treating the um, the emotional side of it because that's very real. There's a whole theory on how trauma is stored in the body and why acu- and acupuncture can actually um, access that, which I won't bore you guys with. But yeah, let me tell you, I haven't read the book. It is on my book to read list, um, but is acupuncture is very powerful for trauma. Um, Acupuncturists Without Borders is actually a group that does exactly that, travels to different areas in the world and treats people who um, have experienced wartime trauma or any kind of trauma in that respect. So very powerful group. Interesting. All right. Well, Jake, so while she's running around going squirrel, squirrel, squirrel when you're hiking, like you're, you're trying to get stuff done, right? So can you talk a little bit about your background and, and, and talk a little bit about how you got into hiking and then um, how did you and Julie uh, connect? Um, so I kind of got into hiking by accident. I was a rock climber. Uh, me and a friend of mine used to drive up to New Hampshire two or three weekends a month from you know, late spring till late fall, early winter. And all right, we're going to, we're already here. I got the weekend off. Um, all right, it's raining. So we're not going to go, we're not going to rock climb. We're not going to go climb Cathedral Ledge in the rain. Let's see how far we can make it up Mount Washington before the weather gets too bad. And that's how I got into hiking. Um, I had done a lot of stuff when I was really young uh, or Younger, anyway, uh, Boy Scouts, um, you know, Mount Monadnock and Wachusett. And I know we had done a couple of things up in the White Mountains, but I don't remember what they were. Um, but yeah, uh, my intro to hiking was Mount Washington as a rock climber. <laughs> um, as far as how we met, uh, so I used to go out to this bar all the time and she was a waitress there and I asked her out many, many, many times. It never worked. And then my dad called me up one day and said, Hey, I get this girl I work with. Uh, she's single. Can I give her your number? And it turns out it was her. (laughs) So Julie, Um, what was his, like, what was the move that he was using that didn't work? We, we need to unpack this so that people listening that (laughs) women can know what not to do. Well, you know, actually, the sad part is I was in a relationship at the time that he was sitting in my section, and I was flirting with the bartender, which come to find out the bartender was actually a guy he went to school with on his track team. I mean, it got funky, but either way, I mean, I I wasn't looking for anything, but this guy tipped me like crazy, and he he would wait to sit in my section. Do you think I caught it? Nope. So the universe said, um, hello you need to pay attention to this guy. So he came back around again. And the funny part is I still, even his dad gave me his picture. I'm like, this guy's not bad looking. Do you think I recognized him? Nope. No. It wasn't until I'm standing in front of him and I'm like, wow, you look familiar. How do I know you? And he literally looked at me like I sat in your section. Every single Friday night for 
several months. Really? Needless to say, we haven't separated since April 13th of 2002. Well, Julie, I think it's like one of those things where you got to, you know, you, you got to you got to experience some some rotten fruit until you find the ripe stuff. Right. That's exactly it. All right. Yeah. Exactly. That's perfect. So, well, good for you. And Jake, good for you for being persistent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we think his dad. So we, when we started dating, we she did a lot of climbing with me originally, yep. um, rock climbing. But then the kids came around and we weren't rock climbing. We tried doing a little camping. Uh, kids didn't like camping. Um, we definitely wanted to get them hiking. Well, I mean, when you try to take kids camping and they're like three and five, that's like just keeping up the campground for no reason. Yeah, I find that like I think the perfect situation, and I don't know when you guys found your place in Interville, but like having like a house in a rural area where you can like kind of have like a a place outside where if you want to set up a tent, but you've got the bathroom inside right away, like that's the perfect way to expose the kids to like the outdoors. Or if you have like an RV or something, it's nice too. Yeah, exactly. And, and we got the house. It was it was literally chance the universe said okay you've been looking long enough and you like being here all right we'll give you this one uh we bought it before covid january 11th of 2019 thank goodness right yeah did you um did you spend a lot of time up there uh, during covid uh we went up a lot initially and then with there was so much anti out-of-stater sentiment um you know, it just got to the point and we were, we do all our grocery shopping back here. We drive up, we'd stay at the house. It, you know, we wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, we'd go to the little river spot around the corner, um, when nobody was there, but we've got people honking at us and flipping us off because we've got Massachusetts plates. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those see. days too. I remember going up to Maine yeah. like once or twice just to like check on the place. I was like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting in the car, going to go up there, turn right around. I'm just checking on the place. But yeah, I get that. So I, I don't miss those days. No, no, not no. at all. And yet we're probably like one of the most respectful out of staters. Like I even wrote an article in the Conway Daily Sun that said, come on, out-of-towners, let's do it right. Show respect. There's no reason we need to be, you know, trashing the Walmart parking lot and being mean to people. These people are here to help us. They live here. Let's respect them and the area. So, yeah, I don't miss that at all either. Yeah. But thankful we have the place. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Now, Jake, um, some areas in the Whites, what is your? what are a couple of favorite areas in the Whites that you like to hike? Um, I like the longer, steeper, more out of the way places. Uh, one of my favorite hikes is I just did uh, uh, Great Gulf Wilderness, uh, the Great Gulf Trail, uh, what a month or two ago. That was probably one of my favorite hikes I've done in a long time. I've yeah. got a friend that's trying to trying to trace red line, whatever you want to call it. He's like, I haven't done this, Jake. Yet, Jake, you want to do it? Yeah, I'm up. Let's go. Yeah, that is one of my um, favorite trails, like just hiking along the, the West Peabody and then getting out to Spalding Lake and that whole area, Spalding Pond. Um, it, it's, it's awesome. It's so it's so different than in any of the other trails. It's uh, it's Middle like Earth. it's like Middle Earth. Yeah. Uh, you know, I took pictures and we came down when well, we did went up the, the Great Gulf Trail. We came down 
um, Wamsada, which was so over, I couldn't see my feet. You know, it, the branches are hitting me in the chest and I, it's just so overgrown. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> now, I bet there'd be some great mushrooms out there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great area there and uh, I highly recommend people check it out. Um, but so you guys, so I guess, Julie, I'd ask you, like, you guys have kids. Like, it sounds like you got like a situation like I do, like you've got one that's not a big fan and maybe one that does like it. But can you talk a little bit about like hiking with kids and uh, some successes and some strategies that you recommend? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so the first time we took our kids on a 48, we've always taken them hiking. We did Stanton. We did little things. Um, my daughter is a gymnast and she's a cancer survivor also um when she was three months old she had retinoblastoma so unfortunately we had to take her eye out so she only has one eye but it doesn't limit her clearly she's a level eight junior olympic gymnast you know what i'm saying and she likes to challenge herself whereas then i had the complete opposite of my son who's the musician and the video game player. So we would take them on little hikes and he'd complain, but as long as he had a friend or we talked about video games, we were good. First 4,000 footer, for whatever reason, my husband said Canon would be a good idea. Now, Canon, the morning of, we're eating breakfast and he goes, oh, here's the elevation map and he hands it to me and you know Canon, it's like, bong. And I'm like, are you kidding? I don't even want to do Canon. Like, why didn't we do Pierce? But either way, we did Canon. My son doesn't have tennis shoes. He only wears Vans because that's cool for a punk rocker. And I'm like, are you? I, I, I'm not taking a kid up Canon in Vans. And he's like, but they're comfortable. All right, I'll just pack the duct tape and lots of band aids. And he actually made it. They no blisters. He did great. He came down and my daughter came down and we're walking across the parking lot. And I'm like, all right, kids, what do you think? And I said, I'm so proud of you. Are you proud of yourselves? And my son's like, never again. And my daughter's like, I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. Oh yeah. All right. You're good. You got the bug. Now with that said, what got us up cannon, right? Everybody wants to know. Number one, and what gets us up the mountains with the kids? Number one, uh, music, believe it or not. When they get, you know, you'll get in your head sometimes when you're hiking, right? And you're like, why am I doing this? This is uncomfortable. Why do I keep doing this to myself? And you have to kind of stop the loop. And so we found music works. So Samantha will put in a playlist or the Hamilton soundtrack. And the Hamilton soundtrack's at least, what, two, two and a half hours long? Good. I've got at least going halfway up. Nate, going up can- uh, Canon, uh, it was all this rap artist that he loves. And unfortunately, in order to get him up, he has to talk about it. So I had to listen to, I had one air bud in and he had the other one as we're listening to this music and he has to comment on it as he's going. So I'm like, okay, about three hours into it. I'm like, if I listen to this anymore, I might just die. But it got him up. Also, food, of course. We've heard this on prior podcasts. What motivates your kid? If it's a slice of pizza, is it Starburst? Is it licorice? Uh, Sometimes we have cheese and crackers, like anything to get them up. My dad got me up Mount Lassen when I was 12 years old with M&Ms at every switchback. As he said, however you get up, you get up. Let me get it. I was so stoked to get the green M&M, it was not even funny. So I find that... It literally, however, but 
sometimes even all that won't work, as you know we've heard before. And we find that you, they bonk. Kids will bonk. They'll be done. And you're like, okay, we can't be done because we still have to go down. And that's when actually uh, I'll start start talking to them. And sometimes that works. And bad dad jokes and dad being goofy and talking about just teenage drama and whatever they want to talk about will help get them down. A favorite conversation that we like to have is, okay, where should we go on our next family vacation? Or what's your ideal vacation? And let me tell you, we've had some great ones. There's Costa Rica. There's us. Let's see, we're going to Paris. Where else? Uh, I think we want to take a cruise to Alaska. I mean, all these things that I'm sitting in the back of my head going, uh, no, we can't afford this. But at the same point in time, it's get some thinking out of their head. So I find no matter what age, them, when they were younger, it was just get them talking about random stuff. And they like we could talk about Minecraft for an hour and we'd be bored out of our gourd, not listening, but they'd be up and coming back down. So... It, it is really what works for the kid and the parent and where they are in the age and their capabilities. That's what we found. Got it. Now you guys, Hopefully, Nate will get back to it. Yeah. Now, you guys have... So, you're both trained in wilderness first aid, and you had a... Mm-hmm. You, you had a a hike on Mount Washington where you had... like You ran into like a search and rescue situation. Were you with the kids on that? Samantha's our, first ascent on Washington. That Yeah. Uh, our daughter was with us. Yep. Okay, so basically, you you're both hiking Mount Washington. Were you going up the Jewel Trail? We went up Ammo, um, and she was loving the hike up Ammo. It was the her favorite hike ever. I can't wait to do this again. And we knew that the weather up top wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. We were prepared. It was windy. It was like fifty mile an hour sustained winds. It was about low forties, and it was super foggy and rainy. She was still doing okay going up. Um, Her hands started getting cold, though. And the one thing I didn't pack was gloves because I thought as we're moving, that would be fine. And I had some liners. But she said, my hands are getting cold, Mom. And I was like, oh, wait. And I pulled socks out of her backpack. And they were like wool, smart wool socks, which would have been better than like my liners. So I was like, here, put them on. This will be fab. And it's like a, you know, a mitten. So it keeps your fingers together. So I'm thinking, okay, this is a smart idea from a mom and hiking standpoint. Well, as she was hiking up, she started getting in her head. And so she started talking to herself with the socks as puppets. She goes, I'm having fun. Yes, we are. There's another rock. Uh, so her trail name, is sock puppet. Oh, nice. <laughs> but we but got to the top. We, we got to the top. We got the, you know, got the pizza and the macaroni and cheese and everything. And then we had to go back out in the cold, in the wind. And it was so foggy. It was, you know, only 20 or 30 feet of visibility. So it you know, took me a minute to get my bearings. All right, we're going. Yep, I know exactly where we're going. We're going down here. Take the right, take Gold the left, side, take right? the right again. Uh, we went down... Yeah, we went down to Gulfside Trail, but I wanted to grab another little trail that I hadn't had yet to slide over to Gulfside Trail to get de- to go down Jewel. Um, that's so that's that's when end on the you know when we were coming down when we were coming down it was just much windier, much colder, much more rainy, and that's when we um, you know we ran into the the search and rescue situation which somebody else had actually already 
taken care of. Um, but we came across we came across somebody who had passed away on the trail. Yeah, yeah, and that's always. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that feels like. But there's really not much you can do. But you both you both have wilderness first aid training, so. Um, if something ever did happen, obviously you'd be available. But how do you, I guess, process that? Is it just, uh, you know, you can only do so much in that situation when somebody's already passed, but it clearly, like, you're already on a difficult hike, and then you've got to kind of process that on the way down. It must be kind of a weird, weird feeling. It is a weird feeling. Um, so I was in the lead because Julie was uh, hanging back with Sam, trying to keep Sam out of her head. And, uh, you know, when I first came upon it, I, I, I had, I looked at, I looked at him like, this has got to be like a, 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 a training scenario or something. This like, this has got to be a search and rescue training scenario. No, I think that's actually a person. So I, I immediately called nine one one. Um, and you know, they're like, they put me through to fishing game, fishing game said, yep, there's somebody that's been performing, CPR for an hour now, uh, and we told them to move on because the, you know, the weather's not safe for you guys to be here. He's, you know, he's passed. So um, there was another group that came up behind us while I was calling nine one one, a group of women, and I kind of tried to push Sam past it, and she's like, Sam was like, I'm fine. It's a dead body. I get it. Okay, um, you know we. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic family. My daughter's been to plenty and plenty of open casket funerals. So she's seen a dead body before and she's read not without peril. She's read, um, Oh, Ty Gagne's uh, works. Ty, both the Ty Gagne's books. Um, and she knows what can happen up there. Yeah. So it was kind of a, it's an unfortunate situation and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, it's sad, but, you know, we need to keep ourselves safe and move on. And I think one of the things that we discuss is we're okay talking about it, but death is a sensitive topic. And I think if that occurs to any other of our listeners that are with kids, which I would hope that never does, every parent has to address that with the child and the kids that they have. And everybody has like a comfort zone in terms of talking about death. We happen to have an open com- you know, open conversation with our kids, but not everybody may. So I always advise, I'm like, when it comes to something like that, parent the child you have. And I think that's the best way of handling that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then as far as um, just sticking with the... I guess the the hiking with kids piece of it, do you find like, obviously your son sounds like he has different interests, but does Sam, is she ask you guys about like, oh, I want to go on my next hike or is it just kind of occasionally that she goes out? Oh no, she's definitely, I mean, she was the one who wanted to do Mount Washington. She's like, I want to do it. Let's go. I'm like, you know, you've only done Canon. You really want to go for the big one? She goes, yep, let's go. I'm like, all right, so we did the we had her do some research and make sure she knew what she wanted to do. Yep, she uh, we tried to do uh, Wombeck in the spring. She's not a spring hiker. She there was just too much going on. She got a, she's a gymnast. There's not much body fat going on there, so she got cold very quickly. So taking that into account um, is something that we had packed enough, but she got in her head again, and we're like, you know what, this isn't worth it. So let's try it again. So we tried to do most of it there was- when it's warm. On that particular hike, it would, there was no snow at the bottom, but as soon as we started going up... It's a classic. It was the that 
wet, mushy snow that, you know, you take take two steps forward, you slide back one. You know, she's a small person. She just, she wasn't having it. And she's like, I feel like we have to go, Sam. If you, right now you're moving slow enough that we're getting cold, this mountain isn't going anywhere. Yep. It, it'll be there in the summer. It, we can do it again. Yep. And I, I don't have to get to that summit. Yep. We can turn around. So we, now, do you guys do a lot of winter hiking um, in general? I know. I think in the notes here you said you've done winter hiking. You've used a guide, I think, to learn. But have you? Do you keep it up on your own now? Uh, yeah, my second ascent on a four thousand footer was Mount Washington in the winter with a guide. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but it was awesome. I'm thankful I had a guide. Uh, in terms of winter hiking, Jake does a lot more than I do. I enjoy it, <clears throat> but I am not that technical and he's the one who likes the technical he likes to challenge himself uh they tried to do a prezi diverse in the winter but the weather just wasn't working and you got to gray knob yeah we were um it was myself and the friend of ours so the the friend the b&b that we used to frequent um was trying to do a referral program with a guide so the owner of the b&b was saying well i'm not gonna i can't give you referrals unless i use you and can actually personally refer you. So that's how we did Mount Washington with them. And that's how we did our, our uh, attempted a winter traverse. Um, but the, uh, the wet on that particular trip, the weather just didn't the traverse. The weather didn't cooperate. And uh, Nick was having a, a hip issue. And we said, you know what? It's time to time to call it off. We, you know, we got up to the, um, Madison Hut, and we said, you know what, we're not going to summit Madison. Let's start going across Gulfside Trail, and decided to go down to Gray Knob and just call it because the weather was coming in faster than it was supposed to. And um, we have most of the equipment that you need in order to winter hike, uh, because thankfully your podcast has actually helped us with a lot of that information. Uh, one of the things that uh, Stomp had mentioned to me is, you know, like, okay. What about like equipment or clothing for women in the winter? And I find actually all the recommendations and Rebecca helped me with this too. Um, you know, all the recommendations that you guys have made and have had conversation about are the same. But I find depending on how frequent we hike and what our body type is, sometimes I need an extra layer uh, just beca- depending on, you know, like how much fat we have. Um, in addition to that, comfort is key, uh, depending on pants and and other things that we have to put on because our bodies are different. Like, for example, Jake actually and I were having a conversation. My calves are just huge. I was a swimmer. I just have big calves. So mountaineering boots and some of the pants are really difficult for me. So what do I need to do? Sometimes I have to get a bigger size. So when it comes to winter hiking, to make sure that for women's bodies, you get what fits us which is different than men's bodies, correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, you know, it, it's something that we have to constantly think about and sometimes we need an extra layer. What do you think, Rebecca? Am I right? I agree. I also think that one of the hardest types of advice to give someone is proper gear because everyone is so different. And yeah. to say that this is a blanket um, expectation that these are the items that you're going to need is basically, in my opinion, impossible Um, You also have to take into consideration the weather and especially when you're hiking in the winter, 
So um, I 100% agree. I think I, I'm not a man, so I'm not 100% sure if it's different for them, but it, it seems like it might be a little easier for them because they don't have as much diversity in terms of their physical um, shape and things. I think that women tend to have a little bit more of a difficult time trying to find what works because we have a lot more curves or we don't have curves. We have more body fat or we have less body fat. Like there's just so much to take into consideration with women. Um, and that I definitely think it's harder for us to find something that works. Yep. I completely agree with you on that one. And we tend to uh, travel heavy. Uh, there was a question, you know, like a discussion that Stomp and I had is heavy or light. We tend to go heavy. Because I would rather have too much than not enough. And I carry the first aid kit because I'm just medically oriented. And he carries like the emergency shelter and the clothing, extra clothing, extra food, the water. You know, I, we both carry water, but he carries more of the heavy stuff and I carry the first aid medical. So we go heavy instead of light when it comes to winter and really summer. Got it. Yeah. And I... um. I like sort of t- I'm seasonal like I try to go light in the summer and the um the in the fall and then I end up getting heavy in the winter so yeah. um and Rebecca's back so we didn't I was just going to say we miss you Rebecca you back in 2 seconds so no problem <laughs> um so w- one other thing I did want to ask you guys is uh locally so you're up in Interville um any secret recommendations on cool things to do as far as restaurants or activities up in the North Conway area or the Bartlett area um spill the beans for us if if we're going up there and we want to do something cool that's maybe not hiking related well, um, do you, we can't give away the secrets, but <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, you have to judge. Like if it's super secret, then well, you don't have to give it away, but like restaurant shops, tips for visitors. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we're right around the corner from, uh, Tuckerman's Tavern, which yeah. is fantastic. Gotta love talks. Um, they got good quesadillas there. They, they, they have just great about steak. everything's there. <laughs> oh um, I mean, you can't beat. My daughter loves sushi, so we always have to go to Delaney's after a hike. Yep. If it gets a little late or we're just exhausted, just Maddie B's Pizza. It's right on the way back. It's great. Uh, depending on where we are hiking, got to give a shout out to Reckless. We we hit Reckless because it's right there. Um, it's awesome. Um, in terms of our secret spots, there's a lot of swimming holes in Bartlett that and Intervale that are fantastic. There's a you've got Fourth Iron, yeah, Fourth Iron, which is right um, of River Road, right off of River Road in Bartlett. Uh, right little swimming hole. Yeah. Um, Town Hall Road has flat rocks that is fantastic um, in the summer because you can sit there with chair and book. Grab a beer. Yeah. Kids can wander I around. I always tell people, like, one of my favorite spots to go, we used to take the kids all the time, is that Cave Mountain uh-huh. parking Like, that yeah. parking lot, yep. like at the Langdon Trail, yep. the parking lot right there yeah. is right on the river, and there's never anybody there. That's 4th yep. Iron. Uh, that's 4th. No, that's that's uh, uh, no four, well, 4th fourth, fourth Iron's a little further up the road, but, but if yeah, you, yeah, dro- yeah. you can drop your tubes in about a mile, about a mile or two up the road and end up at 4th Iron in about an two, hour. Yeah, about two an hours. hour, maybe two. Yeah. We call that our short run when we're not doing the full day on the Saco. Right. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that's a um, that's a great area right there. Yeah. Um, so as far as like sort of the long-term goals, have you both finished your 4,000 footers or are you just working on them right now? We're still working on them. Have any- we're, we're working on them. We're 
uh, I think we've done 26, I think. Yeah, we've got a couple more. But it, kids, you know, kids kind of put the kibosh on that, especially when they were young, and then all their activities. So it makes it tough. So we kind of took a hiatus. And now that Samantha's interested, now we're getting back into it. And we're really trying to churn them out. But with that said, he hikes differently than I do. He is, he loves a challenge. You know, like Rebecca, some of the things, and Mike, some of the the hikes that you guys have mentioned, you know, and the things you've done. He's like, yes, I want more. Um, He has a friend, Peter. They go up. I let them go for the weekend. Go do the Great Gulf Wilderness. Go do, what are you doing next weekend? I think we're going to go up Huntington Ravine and down Bootspur next weekend. You know what I'm saying? Great hike. Exactly. And yet me, I'm like, I'm going to focus on the 48. I like you know, the walks in the woods where like the two and the 3000 footers that it's like you can do in like two, two and a half hours, still get his tracing. I'm not, you know, it's not a full day event. It's just a couple hours, you know, and you can get back and still have a day with the kids, things like that. Um, so we hike differently. So I let him have his weekend to challenge himself and then we do stuff together. So that the stuff together is usually the 48 to answer your question, Mike. Awesome. Well, I love the passion, and um, it's it's kind of cool. Like you know, you look at the three types of hikers we have here. Rebecca's just out here grinding like week after week. It never gets old for her. I get out like once a week, and you know, I, I'm doing you know whatever I want to do. And then you guys have your sort of you know you're not starting out, but you're sort of on your your journey for the you know the list. So it's it's cool to get everyone's perspective. But it I guess the one thing that we all have in common is none of us have lost the passion for it, which is the big thing. Yep. And trying to foster new passion in kids. You know we got to keep this going. We got to have more people on the podcast when you have your two hundreds. Samantha will be there and she'll talk Gilmore Girls with you. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you guys have a cat or a dog or anything? We have dog. a dog. A black lab, dog, Charlie. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Oh, that's right. You talked about the dog, but no cat. Rebecca, I saw your cat made an appearance, so I'm in, I'm, I'm happy to see that they joined us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Matter of fact, it is the executive producer tonight. Stomp's executive producer has been fired. <laughs> oh, what happened? What happened? Well, I mean, he's not here. Oh, okay. He's not here, so. <laughs> Just for one night only. Yeah. Well, Charlie. No, but. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, so uh, Samantha is 13 she's years gonna be, old. She's going to be 14. She's going to be 14 in November. And Nathan is 16. Uh, he's a junior in high school, and he's a bass player in the band Color Killer. So if anybody wants to be entertained, just go to YouTube and look up Color Killer Band. Seriously, they started when they were 8 to 12 years old, and they're still playing, and they're working on their second album. You will be entertained. All right, I'm going to plug them. Uh, that was... Two, I think that was two years two ago. Two or three years ago. It was before COVID. Uh, yeah, so it was probably... It was on. before COVID. So probably 2019, probably three or four years ago. Yeah, so she would have been nine or ten. And yeah, he would... So, I mean, we wanted to start him early. Um, and we took our time on Canon. We didn't nope. shove him up there. Nope, it was 2020. Oh, sorry, my bad. 2020. But still, uh, they were young. But we wanted to start him early... And we took our time. Like, we ate candy. We 
really like we rested when we need to. We ate our meals. We did everything right to get them up there. And then we spent time on the summit and showed them what they were seeing and, you know, got up on the watchtower and took pictures and they enjoyed that. So did Nate. And then they had to get down. Right. It's not over till till you're down. Right. It's the van celebration. When you get to the parking lot, that's when you can truly celebrate, not the summit. Yeah, exactly. But uh, all right, I'm looking at Color Killer right now on YouTube, so I'm gonna put I'm gonna plug them. The, the thing that tip that I'm interested in is I want to listen to their version of Sweet Caroline because I have my daughter's Caroline, so I'm gonna listen to that. <laughs> they actually see, see how it is, but uh, they look pretty cool. They got the colored hair and stuff. Oh yeah. So 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 that's. Yeah, that's probably an older video because they're all either bleach. Yeah, it's like three years. Yeah, ago. they're all either bleach blonde or uh, Shave, back, back, no. one kid shaved his head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they learned that song because uh, they actually played on Jersey Street uh, at Fenway Park before a Red Sox game uh, probably six or eight times now. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome! So yeah, I'll plug them on the show. We'll put some put some stuff on the show notes for them, and uh, hopefully, when they when they break big and they become huge, we want to get front row tickets to uh, to their sta- their stadium show in Gillette. They've so do we. They've actually played. They were actually the youngest band ever to play the Warp Tour. Yeah, really. They played the Warp Tour in 2018. Um, or they, you know, down in Mansfield, um, on the, the full sale university stage. Um, and there is actually a movie that was made about them, yep. about us, um, called, uh, Young Punks. called Young Punks, a punk parable. You had a um, chance to see it. Oh, it's making the scene in the, the, the rounds in the, the, uh, you know the the movie scenes, the documentary scenes, and film it was actually film festivals, and it was actually on uh, PBS. PBS. Really? Yeah. All right, I'll check it out. I'm gonna have to get, get you have to send me the link. I'll put that in the show notes too. Oh, it's on YouTube now. Uh, we'll send the link for YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can do send that. Send it over to me. All right, awesome. Are you ready for Slasher's weekly gear review? All right, well, moving on to um, segment two here. Stomp had, uh, he wanted to do a quick summary of, we're going to talk a little bit about some gear. And he, he found this article from Trend Hunter, which is like this, like, hiking gear recommendation. So this is basically, Stomp was saying, this is hiking gear that we didn't know that we needed, but we really want after finding out about it. So I'm going to run through this bit of it. Um, and just get your perspective. So the link here has like a like a slideshow and he had broken down the things he thought were most interesting. So first is a um, a solar panel cell charger, which I still don't get how um, those would work in this area of the country, but um, I actually pretty- have one of those that I've never used. Yeah, I can't imagine it was- like it must be um, I mean it must be. A little bit tricky to to uh, I guess it's waterproof solar chargers, but it must be tricky to to get enough charge on those. Um, the next one that I think is interesting is a topographical map bandana. So that's actually a good idea, like having a map of the White Mountains as a bandana, right? Two for one. Yeah, 
Just make sure it's sweat resistant. Exactly, exactly. Like that thing would last about five minutes with me. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think I want Mount Washington tattooed on my neck. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but anyway, that would be interesting. Um, the next is a hybrid dog canteen and bowl. So I think this thing converts from a canteen into a bowl um, so it can hold the water and then it turns into a bowl where the dogs can drink. So kind of cool. And then um, another one that he had pointed out was um, there's a sting slash bite proof clothing. So um, this must be, I would assume you'd be able to use this for like bushwhacking as well as like uh, bite proof clothing. But I'm thinking it's a little bit too heavy for my taste, but I'd have to check it out. Or is it just uh, covered with permethrin? Could be. Could be covered with permethrin. I'm not sure. Or maybe not. I guess it looks like it's just a bug, bug net. So it looks like it's a mesh. It's basically like a bug net for your hole that goes on your legs. <laughs> you have to look at the picture. That's just that's just screaming, please I want to get stuck on a stick somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Right? Yeah, it's very weird. Um <laughs> another one that he had picked out is yeah. uh electricity generating backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> These are never good. So this generates electricity from walking and hiking. Like, oh, yeah. That would this can't lips. be like ultralight. I just, I refuse to believe it. And sure. how do you do that? What's the wiring? I don't know. I, and I'm sure it's going to do great on riv- river crossings. <laughs> yeah. It's called the Gokin Backpack, and it generates electricity from walking and hiking. I'm wondering if it's another solar thing, but I don't know. I'm not going to look into it. Um <laughs> Static electricity from your legs? Yes. This is another one, fire-starting footwear. So um, apparently this boot has like a fire starter inside of it or on the outside of it somehow. I could just see, yeah, I'm like sparks on the rocks as you're climbing down just doesn't sound good in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it, but uh, a Swiss Army phone case. So this basically, it has like a knife on the side of the phone case that pops open. Again. Um, I don't know. seems a little extra. That just screams search and rescue by accident stabbing yourself. Yeah. Kind of like, wasn't it stomp with the bear spray? I could see Swiss Army knife, upper leg injury. Yeah, he he's he can't be trusted around that stuff. So I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't put a knife in my phone. Um, this one's good, lightweight foldable hiking boots. So these boots, like they're basically like slippers that fold up. So they're not going to last long in the White Mountains. Nope. Nope. Um, and yeah, so I'll include a link to this. Um, there's another one here. This crazily compact sleeping bag. Um, Cedar Summit rolls up to fit in the palm of your hands. That actually may be legit because Cedar Summit's usually pretty good stuff. Um, so out of these, I think one out of the 60 is pretty good. But I'll include a link in the show notes to all this gear. And a lot of this stuff is like stuff that you didn't know you needed and you probably don't want, but it may be fun to try. I don't know, Mike. Mike, didn't you start using the uh, tree hammock? I'm kind of curious if the tree teepee would work for you. That just sounds dangerous. Well, I've been I've been hammock camping the last two times I was out. I, I did uh, just a traditional hammock. Like I have an Eno and I have an underquilt, uh, but I have seen those like 
the hammocks that are flat and they like mm-hmm. turn into a tent. Mm-hmm. But I think they're too heavy. I think that's the problem. Is I, I looked at them and I think they're about six pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's just too much. Yeah. You're, you're not saving weight by hammock camping with that one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And generally, like compared to my tent, I'm usually about a pound and a half over because I've got the underquilt, the hammock, um, and then I've got the, um, the tarp as well, and then all the associated, you know, stakes and all that stuff. It ends up being about a pound and a half over what I would have with just my, my tent. But it's it's a comfort thing, so I don't mind doing that much. But that's about the limit. I wouldn't want to do anything much more heavy than that. So moving on to our final segment here, uh, recent search and rescue news. So we've got uh, a couple of national stories here that um, I'm pulling up. So a man and a teen are accused in the deaths of a hiker and his dog on in Lewis County Trail. So this is in Lewis County, Washington. Um, charges have been referred to the prosecuting attorney's office in connection with the death of a hiker found on a trail near uh, Walpert Lake, and the coroner ruled this a homicide. So on August 20th, deputies found a man dead on the 101 trail approximately four miles from this Walpert Lake, um, identified as a 46-year-old man from Portland. According to the deputies, a 20-year-old man from Tonino and a 17-year-old girl from Rochester um, had left the trailhead around 9 p.m. the day before this gentleman was found in order to hike um, to a campground to meet a family member. While hiking on the trail, both individuals stated they heard growling noises and saw eyes of what they believed to be a wild animal. The man fired a single shot towards the animal. Um, a short time later, the two advised that they checked the area and located a deceased male and a dog. They stated that they continued to hike. So it sounds to me like this 20-year-old guy... Um, thought that this was a wild animal and ended up shooting the guy and his dog by mistake. Um, and right now the investigators have um, charged the both the 20-year-old and 17-year-old with first-degree manslaughter and first-degree animal cruelty. So kind of a weird case. Or if you're going to shoot something, see what it is before you just go hike away from it. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I don't know. This seems like there's going to be more to that story for sure. But um, we definitely yeah, need. I more. guess just wear a headlamp so people know that you're a human. Or if you're going to shoot something, see what it is before you just go hike away from it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, Next one is uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona. So a, a hiker suffers a seizure and falls off a steep trail. So this was in Phoenix. So this guy was hiking on October 29th and had a seizure and fell. Um, gentleman was in his 30s. He fell off the north side of a trail around 4 p.m. He was with family members who called 911 when they noticed that he was experiencing a possible seizure and fell when the crew made their way to the man, he was stable but wasn't uh, wasn't able to move too much. So I guess he was taken down to the hospital. But we don't hear about this too much in the White Mountains about people suffering from seizures. Although sometimes we do hear these cases where people have medical emergencies. And it could very well be that they had seizures. But um, that must be kind of a scary situation to deal with on trail. 
next one is a national story, and then we'll move to local stuff. Disoriented hiker rescued after getting lost in Little Manatee um, River State Park. So this is in Florida. So in the middle of Little Manatee River State Park, a hiker called for help. This is in Hillsborough County, which I'm not sure how close that is to where I go. Um, but apparently, 2.30 in the afternoon, this gentleman called 911 saying he was dehydrated, didn't know where he was. Um, they were able to use GPS from the hiker's cell phone to locate him. Sheriff's office found him deep in some brush off the trail. Um, gentleman was unable to walk out on his own, so they were able to... Um, I guess work with him. He was disoriented and had been without food and water for about four hours. They were able to airlift him out of the heavily wooded area and take him to a nearby hospital. So um, I don't know if you guys have ever hiked in Florida, but it's it's no joke down there. It's like it's really like thick brush and it's super hot. And you know, even in the even in the cooler months, it's it just gets really hot. And it's not a great place to go because you can't get any high ground to figure out where you are if you don't know where you're going. Haven't done any hiking, but have spent a little bit of time down there. It's, it's hot. Yeah, yeah. It, Not a great place to go hiking. Yeah. Great. So just moving on to um, local news. There's not much going on. There wasn't any um, hiking rescues, but there was a hunter that fell out of a tree stand. So I don't know the details here. I'm just looking up the... Um, the article, but this happened around eight in the morning. So I'm thinking that it wasn't a drinking accident. It might've just been a mistake, but 47 year old guy from Rochester was climbing his, his tree stand and he slipped and fell about five feet to the ground. Um, I guess he was, you know, he called 911 and was brought out by um, Stafford fire and rescue and then transported to the hospital. So be careful climbing up on those tree stands. Just because it's 8 o'clock in the morning doesn't mean it wasn't a drinking accident. That is true. It could have been that it was a continuation of the overnight. It's hard to drink all day if you don't start in the morning. That is true. That is true. And hunting is a, uh, you know, a sport where people do like to drink, I will say. They do. Yep. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up with a nice story about a Massachusetts resident who got injured uh, driving an ATV. Um, and I believe there was no helmet on this one. So 61-year-old lady from Danvers, Mass. Um, I guess she was not wearing a helmet at the time of the trash. She was tra- uh, crash traveling east on Newell Brook Road in a large group of well, these off-road RVs. And she said the sun was in her eyes, so she attempted to shield the sun and took one hand off the ATV steering column and with one hand on the handlebar, she struck a rock, and I guess this ATV just veered off sharply, and because one of her hands was not on the handlebars, she was unable to control the vehicle and had a little bit of a crash. So they had to helicopter her out of there, and I don't think that she'll be doing that again. Yeah. But it's been quiet on the hiking stuff. We haven't seen much. Um, I'm thinking that we are kind of past foliage at this point and that we probably will have a pretty slow November, but... We'll see. It's going to be really warm this weekend, and there are a lot of leaves on the ground. Yeah, so just be careful. Lower leg injuries. Yeah, I noticed that, like, coming down from Blueberry, like, it was, like, a ton of leaves on the ground, and you can't see anything, like, the roots, rocks, whatever. If you're not used to, like, that terrain, like, you could definitely wipe out. And it's always on the down. It seems like it's always on the down, because you get up, you celebrate, and you're like, oh, I got to get down. 
and you're tired by that point. And it's a lot harder. I think all hikers will agree. Down seems so much harder sometimes than up, even though you're complaining about going up. Down is so tough on knees and ankles. And when you can't see what you're doing, literally, there's so many times where I'm like, sounds like a search and rescue. I'm crawling out if I fall. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, you can join. You can come on the show and tell your story if you need need a rescue. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be on the show for that reason. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Rebecca, do you want to plug your, are you still doing your fundraiser thing? You want to plug that? It's on my, I think it's linked on my link tree. I don't have the website on my tabs up like on my computer. That's fine. I can, uh, I can dig it up. Well, I thank all of you for bearing with me without Stomp. It was a little weird not having Stomp here, but Rebecca, you saved the day. Thank God you were my <laughs> wingman. Yay, Rebecca. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. No problem. And Jake, Julie, it was so nice to talk with you. Very interesting stories. And um, thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank we'll you. We'll have to do it again. And Jake, hit me up if you want to go hiking. You want to do the crazy stuff. I'm I'm down with you. Sounds good. Okay, Sounds come good. on. Maybe I got to do one of them, huh? Okay, all right. You want to join <laughs> us? But I have no tolerance for the, the like. Oh, let's stop and look at the look at the flowers. Like, no, it's business. Let's go. <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rebecca. (sighs) Hey. Oh, hey. It's Stomp. Um, I just want to, well, first of all, it's like almost midnight on Thursday, November 3rd. And I'm editing this episode for everybody. I just wanted to apologize for not making it. I just got tied up. Jake and Julie, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so bummed I didn't get to chat with you. And Rebecca, thanks for filling in. That was awesome. And Mike, come on, you killed it. I'm actually only doing this now because I got a funny story that was sent to us literally yesterday. So I just wanted to share it with you before we call it a night. So get a message from Caden. Caden Stefan. Uh, is the name, and this was a direct message. And the message starts by saying, was on all fails, aka all trails, earlier, and saw this. And then there's an emoji with the uh, the old face slap, like, oh God. Thought you guys may also get a nervous chuckle out of it. So if you click on the picture that he sent over, it's an all trails image of Artist Bluff Trail moderate risk, you know, moderate difficulty, four and a half stars, um, ranked by like 3,200 people, like pretty crazy. And, it, you know, it's got the basic information for Artist Bluff. Most people know this. Artist Bluff is uh, the northern tip of Franconia Notch. And um, over the last several weeks with the foliage, it was a mob scene, just crazy. But this is, this is funny. So he sends this over and... I'm looking at like, okay, artist bluff, what's going on here? So the next image is a screenshot of some of the comments that people were leaving. And this one comment is in <laughs> in in the in the uh, the list here, and it's it's an individual. I won't even give the name, but this is what this person wrote. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. Quote, not sure what happened, but I clicked on the driving instructions or directions from this app 
and it brought me to a hike on Mount Lafayette and Lincoln. It was dark, and I wasn't familiar with the trails. I assumed I was on the right hike. My fault for not checking. By the time I realized it, I was two hours in, crossed a river three times, and the incline was getting steep. I wasn't prepared for a 4K foot hike. Learn from my mistake. Just be aware that the driving directions may not take you to this hike. I'm sure the real hike is beautiful. I hope I get to try it again sometime. <laughs> All fails. It's great stuff. So, Caden, uh, <laughs> thank you very much for sending that in. It's hilarious. And uh, just beware, people. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon from New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 